Hey guys, Tony Reed. Before we start the show, I wanted to thank all of you for your support of Flyover Politic Podcast. This is show 200. Unbelievable. A show that started in my living room on a phone turned into a studio recording just 16 months later. But thank you to Santa Sister who bought me the mic. To date, there's been 5194 on the listens. That's 5194 for people in English. 89 followers. It's been up to about 200 and gone back and forth. And this week alone, we've had 270 plays. Within that, places like San Francisco, San Jose, Kansas City, Missouri, Ashburg, Virginia, Newberry, Massachusetts, New York, New York, Mountain View, California, and Miami, Florida. Hit the list this week. That's pretty cool. And Los Angeles. Within here, people that I do know, Jonesburg, Jonesboro, excuse me, Tennessee, and Montgomery, Alabama. In the world, this week alone, we had Germany, Indonesia, Marshall Islands, Russian Federation, Singapore, Israel. And to all of you, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this little old podcast. You know, I, 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 I can't track what's going on on Stitcher, Google, and all that stuff. But on SoundCloud, you guys really have listened and you really really have made my day because this is just a hobby that I enjoy doing but when you listen it makes it something worth doing so before I can you know continue groveling and thanking you I gotta thank Tom Cleman for pushing me to do this and of course for my wife for having to put up with me saying the word podcast way way too much and the time she allows me to break away to do this podcast like on a Friday when she's coming home um She's going to let me do this. Of course, she has an ulterior motive. She just wants to watch TV. That's all good. I'm honored. I'm humbled you listen to this regular dude from the flyover states and work to ensure the show is interesting, a little funny, and something you want to continue to listen to. To do that in the future, once again, please suggest segments. doesn't have to be political. Um, give me comments, complaints. You go to the website at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Dot com and hit us up with an email. But thank you for all your support. And now, on with the show. Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. Today's show, History of Father's Day, and news and social media nuggets it is the 16th of june year of our lord 2017 and we're you know i play the fancy little close in the loop cool shit but we're still in stupid mode okay we're just way way in stupid mode and what do I, what do i mean by stupid mode listen to this the shooting republican new york congresswoman claudia tenney received this threatening email the subject line reads, one down, 216 to go. 
threats are near daily occurrence for Congress, but yesterday's shooting raising questions about how to balance constituent access with personal safety. Continue to live your lives, continue to do your work, continue to be accessible, and that's my plan, um, to continue to be out there in the community and to show that we're not afraid. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney joins me now. That is just a staggering email. What, I mean, what went through your mind? What did it feel like when you read that? I gotta be perfectly honest, I, I've been getting this type of uh, email and voice messages and these types of threats since I, I was sworn into office on January 3rd. Uh, I got one, I put out a very nice Memorial Day message and then I got a response uh, that said, I hope your son comes back bagged. Uh. My son is currently a first lieutenant in, in the Marine Corps and he's serving in the Middle East. So I've been almost got jaded listening to these and hearing these and learning about them. Uh, but then having this come on the heels of this terrible incident uh, with uh, Majority Whip Scalise and the Capitol Police and the staffer and the people that were, were victims was, was, uh, has a different feeling. It's definitely more foreboding and very concerning to all of us. And we need to pay attention to our security. As you know, uh, yeah. most of us don't have security, uh, not in our districts. And we, we rely on the Capitol Police here. And the Capitol Police are, are just phenomenal. They do a great job. They recognize who we are. And so my, my uh, congratulations go to them for doing the great job that they do. The, the body of the email sounded so similar to a lot of the rants from the actual shooter yeah. in this case. And a lot of his complaints, it said, do you not expect this? When you take away ordinary people's very lives in order to pay off the wealthiest among us, your own lives are forfeit. Certainly your souls and mort morality were lost long before. Good riddance. I mean, there's, I think one of the things that's most disturbing about this is how much it echoes what the perpetrator was saying yeah. in this case, meaning making it feel like it's not one random crazy person, but this is, in fact, almost a, a violent yeah. movement born out of an ideology. I, I think you're right. I think that that's what's happening. I, the discourse has reached a level that violence in this situation has been normalized. And I have to say that the resist movement, the indivisible movement, this movement that's been uh, supported, unfortunately, by the Democrats and on my side, they've targeted me. I'm a top 10 targeted seat in the nation as a woman Republican in New York. They want to get rid of me. They, wanna, they want me to lose and they want to put somebody else in place. And they're willing to do almost anything and they're encouraging people to do this, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'd like to, and I, I think that it's unfortunate that we as a freshman class, and I think you've heard this maybe, we got together and very early on and we decided to take a commitment to civility. We signed a letter. We agreed to work with each other on the, in the freshman class. Uh, we are uh, co-sponsoring bills. We're doing resolutions together. We're working together. And I think it's, it was our statement as a freshman class to recognize the level of the rhetoric that was unacceptable. And understanding that, yes, we disagree on policy. We should have robust debate. It's the American way. But the First Amendment doesn't include violence. And yeah. that's something that we tried to stand for. And, uh, you know, today, tonight, uh, luckily, I'm going to be going to the game, that they're going to still have it. And I'm going to be going and joining uh, with Brad Schneider, Congressman Brad Schneider, from the suburbs of Chicago, a Democrat who, by the way, we both have sons that are serving and are deployed right now in the military. So. Uh, we're joining together and we really want, we hope that everybody continues to do that and that our freshman class will set the example and the tone for the future and that's something that I'm really proud of with our class on both sides. We, we forged ahead and we're hoping that this is going to be the new dialogue. Yeah. But remember, as leaders, we need to stand up and, and lead the fight. 
and I commend both uh, speaker uh, Paul Ryan and leader Nancy Pelosi for taking those steps on the floor yesterday before the whole house uh, and, and saying we are in this together and I think that we need to do that and I think we need to show the public but more importantly the media needs to show that we are working together and what we are trying to uh, provide the dialogue that the people need. A good robust debate is exactly what we should be doing uh, and not resorting to violence and that was unfortunately what happened today and uh, you know and obviously our thoughts and prayers go to the Scalise family and all yeah. the families. So, so you mentioned the media because a lot of people mm -hmm. have blamed the media in the midst of this that as the dialogue and the rhetoric right. has gotten louder and louder that that's what the media focuses on. I mean, what are we supposed to do? Ignore, you know, the discourse when it gets to that to... level? Or, or, I mean, I, I'm, I'm asking you honestly. What honestly, do you think? If everybody's in this yeah. together, what do we do? I agree with you. And let me first say that I owned a newspaper. I was a member of the media. Uh, I was a person who had to go sort through the stories, try to figure out what the truth is and what the truth isn't, present the facts, uh, try to be as fair and honest as I could be in every case. Even though I'm a Republican, I mean, I often was, criti I was criticizing the Republicans in my community because they happen to be in power. And I think the media has to be fair in that way. They need to assess the facts, find out what, what is really a credible news story, and mm -hmm. why not talk about the fact that we are working together. Yeah. There are bipartisan issues, and I think that the media can do that. And that's their job as the fourth estate. And as someone who was part of the fourth estate, owned a media group, um, it can be done, and I think that they need to be responsible as well. Not just us taking a leading role, but the media needs to cover okay. that. But thank you. Congresswoman, thank you for coming on today. I'm sorry Appreciate that it. you received that email, and thank you for soldiering for it. And all the others, too. I don't want to act like it was the only one, but yeah. anyway. Yeah, isn't that nice? And you're going to say, oh, just oh, yeah, you wait till the end of this little segment. All you little resistant monkeys out there. Here's some of the stuff she got. Isn't the internet great? It allows shitheads like yourself to say shit that would in real life get your head cracked open. Hopefully you'll suffer the same fate, you fucking cunt. Please turn to the loaded gun in your drawer, put it in your mouth, and pull the trigger. Blowing your brains out, you'll be doing the whole world a favor, shitbag. I would love to smash your face in until no longer resembled anything human, faggot. Die painfully, okay? Preferably by getting crushed in death to death. No, it's in death. That's I'm sorry, I was trying to do proper English. I guess they don't. Preferably getting crushed to death in a com garbage compactor by getting your face cut to ribbons with a pocket knife, your head cracked open with a baseball bat, your stomach sliced open, your entrails spilled out, and your eyeballs ripped out of their socket. Fucking bitch. I would love to kick you hard in the face, breaking it. Then I cut your stomach open with the chainsaw, exposing your intestines. Then I cut your windpipe in two with the box cutter. Hopefully you'll get what's coming to you, fucking cunt. Hmm. Yeah, she's from New York, too. She's a woman. She's a woman. I think that's sexist. Wouldn't that be sexist if she was a Democrat? I don't, you know, I get confused on these things. I get confused. But remember, Patrick, it's just the right spewing hate. Remember, media, just the right spewing hate. Not you guys. You're perfect. Guy that left McSally death threats gets arraigned today. That's a different one. They're getting arraigned. That's two, right? In the first message, Martin said, this is for Martha McSally. I would wring your ex expletive neck. You need to get back to where you came from and leave Arizona, according to court records. 
then a second message, Martin said, Martha, our sights are set on you, right between your fucking eyes. Can't wait to fucking pull the trigger, fucker, according to the FBI. Maybe the FBI is partisan now. Oh, wait a minute, Comey said Trump's bad. Is he good? Because I can't remember where the fuck we're at on Comey. Can somebody cue me in? And the third message, Martin allegedly said, your days are numbered. Tony, that's just too bad Republican. Okay, no. Here we go. Several shots fired a truck flying flying Make America Great Again flag on I-465. This was in a local paper. Not Breitbart. Not those alt-right things. This was like local news. Indiana State Police say shots were fired at a truck carrying a Make America Great flag and an America flag on eastbound I-4065 Tuesday. Officers believe the shots were fired from a newer white four-door Chevrolet Malibu with Louisiana plates near Emerson Avenue around 4 p.m. Is it, are you guys, is this a road show? Cause the guy killed somebody in Virginia. But he's from Illinois, and now these people are from Louisiana, and they're fucking with somebody else. Okay, this is very interesting. Starbucks! Because that's, what, three? We got three now? Starbucks customers say she was bullied for supporting Trump. I don't know what politics has to do with getting a cup of coffee, said Kayla Hart. A female again. So we're harassing females. I thought, once again, that was sexist. Cool. Hart walked into Starbucks in East Boulevard in Dilworth on Wednesday morning wearing a Donald Trump t-shirt instead of being greeted with a smile. Kayla said the cashier laughed and her order was labeled with a political message mocking her support for the president. Build a wall. They shouted out, build a wall and shoved a drink at me and then all the baristas in the back started cracking up laughing, said Hart. Commotion caught the attention of nearby customers. I just walked out because everybody was staring. Hart believed she was bullied for wearing her Donald Trump t-shirt. She immediately emailed Starbucks customer service and hasn't heard shit from them yet. So that's just, that's what, four? I can't count. Oh, here's a list of attacks against conservatives. It is mind-blowing. Isn't it fun when you do a segment, you don't even have to give a reason why you're doing the segment? I don't even have to preface this segment, because you know where I'm going, folks. All we're hearing is the right, 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 right. All they're defending about this shooting is the right, 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 the KKK, and guns. Guns that miraculously just get up out of the house and go shoot GOP people. Or as we'll see later, we're still blaming Sarah Palin for this shooting. Or Trump. It's Trump's fault. Some guy went wacko. But here's a list. All of these I've confirmed. Because I know when I say the following thing, it comes from Daily Caller. People go, hey, alright, Yeah, whatever. They're all aware. A wave of liberal rage has marked the last 11 months since the rise of the subsequent election of President Donald Trump. Antifa protesters clad in black masks, shut down college campuses, destroyed property, and indiscriminately attacked those they disagree with. Whether women or the elderly... Elderly, sound like I was a drunk uncle. Elderly. Meanwhile, CNN fires Kathy Griffin for taking photos of the bloody replica of the president's decapitated head. Amid this backdrop, the Huffington Post, not going to read this part because there's a bunch about it. Going to talk about it in a second. Then shots ring out a man gorged on media hysteria. The aggression since Trump nomination is difficult to enumerate, but nevertheless, Daily Caller did it. Here it is. We have spiked... And this looks like it was August, uh, November, there were uh, 38 incidents, and it's been consistent. 
So they start this in July 2016. A Hillary supporter lights a flag on fire and attacks a Trump supporter in Pittsburgh. Trump supporter sues San Jose after protesters jump on cars, stole hats, fought, and threw eggs at them. Do you remember that was on video? The media at the time showed the woman getting egged, but they said it was Trump's fault. They, they haven't stopped repeating that mantra either. August, anti-Trump protesters attacked Trump support, supporters in Minneapolis and beat an elderly man we covered on the show. Tennessee man was assaulted at a garage sale for being a Trump supporter. Covered it on the show. A Trump supporter in New Jersey was attacked with a crowbar. That was just a simple month in August. We didn't get too crazy. September, protesters in El Cajon, California, chased and beat up a Trump supporter. October, GOP office in North Carolina was firebombed, spray-painted with Nazi Republicans, get out of town or else. For those who knew the show, I've already shown how Nazi comes out every election season, and it's actually like calling somebody racist now. It doesn't really mean a lot. It doesn't mean a lot at all. Nazi don't mean a whole lot. November 2016, a high school student was attacked as she wrote that she supported Trump. The perpetrator ripped her glasses off and punched her in the face. President of Cornell University College Republican was assaulted the night after Trump won the election. Students protesting Trump punched and kicked a Maryland high school student wearing a mega hat. The high school student was arrested in Florida after he punched a classmate for carrying a Trump sign. 24-year-old was reportedly attacked at New York subway for wearing a mega hat. A group of black men in Chicago attacked a white man with raging against Trump. High school students in Rockville, Maryland physically assaulted another student for supporting Trump, kicking him while he was on the ground. At a California high school, a student yelled to Trump supporting students, you support Trump, you hate Mexicans, before beating a girl. An anti-bullying ambassador who supported BLM was arrested after shoving a 65-year-old man to the ground. We covered that on the show. That was really nice. It was so nice seeing somebody pick on a 65-year-old man in a freaking wheelchair. A Texas elementary school student was beaten by his classmate for voting for Trump in a mock election. Covered that one on the show, too. Two men punched and kicked a Connecticut man who was standing with an American flag and a Trump sign, because right now the resistance hates both of them, because the flag represents Trump. We covered that on the show. High school student in Florida punched another student. It's holding a Trump sign. A man was murdered in Georgia after an argument about whether Trump was would deport a Hispanic man. December, Trump supporter was beaten and dragged by a car. Another Trump supporter was attacked in a rally in Richmond. January, Trump supporter was knocked unconscious after airport protesters repeatedly beat him on the head. That was the first Muslim ban. I just did air quotes. A Trump supporter was attacked after putting out a fire started by Antifa. Trump supporters were beaten in Oregon. Their list is incomplete. I could list another hundred in Oregon because I read the Oregonian. And it's still going on up there. February, California GOP Representative Tom McClintock had to be escorted to his car after a town hall. At least four tires were slashed. Protesters knocked a 71-year-old female staffer for California GOP Rep Dana Robichaud unconscious. Covered that on the show. Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos, we covered that on the show. March 217. I just got a page flip. Angry protesters at Millerberry College rushed AEE scholar in political science, George Murray, covered on the show. April, a parade in Portland, Oregon was canceled after threats of violence by the Antifa against Republicans. Protesters shut down Ann Coulter. May, Tom Garrett, his family and his dog were targeted by repeated death threats. FBI agents arrested a person for threatening to shoot Arizona Republican Representative Martha McSally. Police in Tennessee charged a woman for allegedly trying to run GOP Congressman Dagan Kustoff off the road. We covered that in depth because it's hometown. It was all over the news. Surprising. 
they covered it because all the channels in Nashville are pretty liberal. Police in North Dakota ejected a man after he became physical with a GOP representative, Kevin Kramer. June 2017, you got Hodgkinson. Representative Claudia Tenia received an email threat to read one down, two sixteen to go. A man driving a white Malibu reported poorly fired several shots at a man driving a truck with a mega hat. That's just a short list. It's not complete. Why do you think this is happening? Why do we think is it because of Trump? Trump said some stuff back last year, and now people all of a sudden are going, I can't take it anymore, and it's going after people. Well, here's a nice soundbite from Vox. Do you think this could incite fear, anger, and maybe action? Raise your right hand. Donald Trump's presidency has blown into a crisis for America. You solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. So long as Donald Trump is president, the actions of the U.S. government and the men and the women who work for it cannot be trusted. Of course Trump asked Comey for loyalty. Of course he asked him to protect his friend Michael Flynn. It's a height of naivete to believe this same story isn't playing out elsewhere in Trump's administration, to believe that it ends with James Comey, or to believe that every public servant Trump tries to intimidate or asks for loyalty will fare as well or have as much integrity as James Comey. Think of how this could have gone. Imagine it wasn't Comey who Trump had invited to dinner, but a candidate for the FBI directorship who shared Trump's values, who was more focused on his own career advancement than on his integrity. Imagine Trump asked for loyalty and this person immediately agreed. We would never know that conversation had happened. But the Federal Bureau of Investigations would now be serving Trump, not the American people. And this is what scares me. It might have already happened. On Wednesday, Trump nominated Christopher Wray to replace James Comey as FBI director. How do we know the reason Trump chose Wray over all the other candidates isn't because Wray said, yes, I will be loyal to you. Is what I'm saying fair to Ray? Maybe not. Maybe he didn't do any of that. But this is a cloud of suspicion the U.S. government will be under so long as Donald Trump is president. We know Trump holds an office that gives him vast power for intimidation, for vengeance. We know he's a man who will use that power to serve his own ends. In the American system, the presidency is an office bounded by constitutional limits and competing institutions, yes. But it is just as importantly bounded by the morality and personal rectitude of whoever occupies it. There is little doubt before Comey's presentation that Trump was of poor moral character. There is no doubt after it. Trump is dangerously unfit for this role. I would ask Republicans hearing this to imagine the word Trump replaced with Clinton or with Obama. How would they feel if everything I've described here was done by Hillary Clinton? That is Ezra Klein. He's on MSDNC. He's on CNN. He's brought on Meet the Press. He is a major player in liberal media. Oh, wait a minute. In the media. Because we, we don't call it liberal media. How is that healthy discourse? How about this? Newsweek, right after Steve Scalise was shot. Steve Scalise shot a congressional baseball game in Alexandria, was an early endorser of President Donald Trump. That, that's what they said. That actually reads in the following language. Blah, 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 got shot, he had that shit coming. That's exactly what it's read. That, that's how you read it. Newsweek. How about CNN? CEO, fuck pulling funds for Trump assassination. Caesar play. 
The point of the day is not that it's been debated for probably 400, a point of the play, excuse me, is one that has been debated for probably 400 years. It's not one that advocates the killing of Caesar. But again, we don't fund this. We are certainly not going to drop our support of a public theater. That was yesterday. 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 CNN. Fuck it. Fuck it. James Wood. Argue with people, get in their face. If they bring a fight to, a knife to the fight, we bring a gun. Barack Obama. I didn't cover that last show. Tim Kaine, Loretta Lynch. How are those words? Bring a gun to a knife fight. That's not theoretical. When a Republican says it. It's not theoretical. At all. If Rush Limbaugh says it. If... Chuck Toad, for some way, got my podcast, and I said, you know, what people need to do going forward to the resistance is pack some lead. Go get your kit and get about five ARs loaded, and let's go fucking killing, if they argue with you. That's the same verbiage. You're saying at any means necessary. Obama used to say that all the time. I have talked for two freaking years, or not two years, 200 shows what I meant to say. I've talked for 200 shows how Obama's rhetoric, as eloquent as it was, was no different than Trump. It was the same rhetoric. The rhetoric is by any means necessary. He might have said it flowering, but it was the same concept. Remember, he spawned BLM. He incited BLM to be a thing. He defended BLM and he told people to, in your house coat and slippers, take to the streets. I played it on the show. How do you not think over time this kind of rhetoric doesn't make somebody go, fuck it, I might as well do it. When you're constantly going to a mic and saying, these policies are dangerous. They're going to kill the planet. They're going to kill grandma. They're going to rape pandas in the street. How does that not make people do stuff? Or how about this, New York Times? America's lethal politics. This is from the editorial board, June 14th. America's elective representatives enjoy America's pastime on a ball field just across the Potomac from the Capitol. A particularly American form of terror changed that idyllic early Wednesday morning into what Rand Paul said was basically a killing field. A gunman with a rifle, fired dozens of rounds at members of Congress and current and former aides who dove for cover. He was hunting us, said Mike Bishop, who was at home plate when the gunman appeared and all four victims were hit, including Representative blah, 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 blah. An American would once have been horrified and shocked by such savagery. An American today would be right to be horrified and not very surprised. This is one of two mass shootings in the United States on Wednesday. A San Francisco UPS facility, a gunman killed three people and himself. Not all details are known yet about what happened in Virginia, but a sickening familiar pattern is emerging in the assault. The sniper, James Hodgkinson, who was killed by Capitol Police, was surely deranged, and his derangement had found its fuel in politics. Mr. Hodgkinson was a Bernie supporter... Bernie Sanders supporter and campaign volunteer virtually opposed to President Trump. 
He posted anti-Trump messages on social media, including one in March that said, time to destroy Trump and company. Was this attack evidence of how vicious American politics have become? Probably. In 2011, Jared Lee Lofner opened fire in a supermarket parking lot. Parking lot. This is where I want you to listen closely. Representative Gabby Giffords in killing six people, including a nine-year-old. At the time, we and others were sharply critical of the heated political rhetoric on the right. Before the shooting, Sarah Palin's political action committee circulated a map that showed the targeted electoral districts of Miss Gifford and 19 others, Democrats under stylized crosshairs. But in that case, no connection to the shooting was ever established. Conservatives and right-wing media were quick on Wednesday to demand forceful condemnation of hate speech and crimes by anti-Trump liberals. They're right. Liberals should, of course, be held to the same standards of decency that they ask of the right. Was this attack evidence of how readily available guns and ammunition are in the United States? Indisputably. Mr. Hoskins, by definition, should not have a gun. But he was licensed in his home state, Illinois. And in any event, would have been easy for him to acquire a weapon in Virginia, which requires no background checks, lie, and private sales. Okay, that's not a lie. But no background checks is a total fucking lie. Because that's not what's being said. Requires no registration for weapons and has few restrictions on open carry. The reason of some was that the only solution is yet more guns. They talk about a Mo Brooks saying we need to arm ourselves. That's an entirely reasonable reflex. All people in the situation unarmed and under fire would long be able to protect themselves and their friends. Yet consider the society Americans would have to live in, the choices they would have to make to enable that kind of defense. Every member of Congress and every other American of whatever age would have to go to baseball practice or school or to work or to the post office or to the health clinic or to any other place mass shootings now take place with a gun on their hip. And then... When attack came and they returned fire, they probably kill or wound not the assailant, but another innocent bystander, as studies have reportedly show. I'd like to see those studies, New York Times. That is the society the gun lobby is working towards. Is it the one Americans want? President Trump just said the right thing after the attack. We have our differences, blah, 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 blah. Yet, he will not help create that nation if he continues to advocate easy access to lethal weapons. Now, some of you are like, why did you read that, Tony? Where was the condemnation? You have one sentence that they need to live up to the standard. You bash Sarah Palin again, and then you blame Trump for weapons. And then you talked about weapons. This was so bad, the world blew up. That's how I found it. And then they had to make this correction. An editorial on Thursday about the shooting of Representative Steve Scalise incorrectly stated that a link existed between political rhetoric and the 2011 shooting of Representative Gabby Giffords. In fact, no such link was established. The editorial also incorrectly described a map distributed by a political action committee before that shooting. It depicted electoral districts, not individuals using Democratic lawmakers beneath stylized crosshairs. To make a point, once again, we sensationalize and put out fake news that will not be corrected. Nobody's going to read that correction. It wasn't on the correction until today that was released 
the 14th. They attack guns. They blame Palin once again. Once again, it's, it's a liberal playbook. The extreme left. If you repeat a lie over and over and over, it becomes truth and nobody fucking questions it. Because everybody's just a bunch of goddamn sheep who are never going to search that they do have background checks. And that, oh, by the way, wizard, this fucker lived in Illinois. He came with his weapon from Illinois, which has the most gun restriction on planet Earth. What does that have to do with Virginia? Sarah Palin destroyed him. John Ekdahl, how in the tap-dancing fuck can a paper blame Palin for a shooting she proverbially didn't influence while excusing current rhetoric for today? David French, no Trump supporter. And not just any paper. This wasn't some diarist at Daily Coast. This was the editorial board of the New York Times. Christopher Hayes, a flying liberal that wishes he was Maddo. Let me chime in here to say, yeah, that's nuts. Guy Benson, six years from now, the New York Times editorial board will lecture us about the time a right-winger shot Democrats on a baseball field. But they didn't stop there. Oh, no. Jonathan Martin Not only did Alexandria not prompt GOP to rethink guns, it emboldened some in the party on loosening gun laws. I'm still waiting for Democrat rhetoric. I I can't find it. Then they ran fact check. Partisans falsely blamed Loretta Lynch, Tim Kaine, Bernie Sanders for Wednesday's Virginia shooting. And they break down and destroy anybody who ever uttered it. Mr. Jones, uh, freaking idiot over there, freaking Alex Jones. The Young Turks. And they once again try to prove that it's true and it's not. It's been debunked. Activists are falsely suggesting Senator Bernie Sanders, independent of Vermont, orders his followers to take down President Trump. We played it. He did. Others are distorting remarks from Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia, to suggest he wanted the shooting. Fight in the streets. What the fuck does that mean? What does that mean? If if you're still blaming a person, uh, for the record, I can't stand Sarah Palin, for sending out a flyer that had targets on districts like the Democrats do, if you're still blaming her for the Loeffner shooting, which once again... They can't find a political linking, and this dickweed who just did the shooting is nothing but political leaning. How can you say fight in the streets is not bad rhetoric? But WAPO, they looked at the New York Times and said, hey, wait a second, hold my beer, opinion. The baseball shooting wasn't an attack on the GOP, it was an attack on all of us. Wrote some bullshit. This this is what they put at the bottom. This this sounds like Hillary Clinton wrote this. But remember, this is a major newspaper in the United States. The system often feels unfair. Skewed electoral maps favor one party over the other. Rural areas are overrepresented. 
Party fringes often exert more control over the agenda than the broad middle, where much of the country really is and the only place for which it can effectively govern. Political money skews legislations. After an election such as last year, it is easy for the losing side to feel hopeless and desperate. Which pretty much reads like, well, you know, what he did was wrong, but once again... Can you blame them? And I, this is a fucking major paper, folks. This was this wasn't like you know, like the freaking San Jose jerk off rag. This is a paper, and they're going the the rural areas are overrepresented, which is lib speak for you fuckers in the flyover state. You don't get a vote. Shut the fuck up. Unless you live on the coast, shut up. But we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. Here's Jesse Ben. Yeah, this is Huffington Post. For violent resistance to work, it need to be organized. Individual acts can be understandable, but likely counterproductive and ineffective. Sean Davis sums it up. HuffPo writer's main beef with today's attempted mass murder of Republicans is that it was poorly organized. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But here, here, here is his op-ed. Once again, it's been taken down, but it got up there on HuffPo, and it's still all over the internet. Sorry, liberals, a violent response to Trump is as logical as any. The rise of Donald Trump has exposed the frightening underbelly of America's foulest tendencies. Our racism, nativism, xenophobia, misogyny, Islamophobia, ableism, and a propensity towards authoritarianism have been laid bare. Reactions from those who stand opposed to these manifestations of oppression have varied from calm condemnation and routine peaceful protest to blockades of roads and borderline riotous outbursts, including sporadic violence in various cities. This isn't a coincidence. There are so many examples of Trump inciting violence in New York Times put together this video documenting some of them, a powerful video juxtaposing his longing for the violence against protesters from the good old days with images from the civil rights era recently went viral. There's been an upswing in anti-Muslim hate crimes that correlate with his candidacy, including several offenders who cite him as their inspiration. For those that haven't been with the show long, 75% of these have been proven to be false. There's no nothing. I, I did a whole show on it. Not to say that there wasn't examples of anti-Muslim conduct. But the correlation that there's a rise in this is a lie. And correlating that it is Trump that's at fault is a stretch. But we just exampled, they're still trying to blame Sarah Palin for a shooting years ago. That's not true, because that's what they do. You just have to link it. 10% of truth, 6 degrees of separation. It's now a fact, and we can bash it like a cudgel. Another of his supporters beat an unhoused Latino man, yet another sucker punched a demonstrator at a rally. The next time we see him, we might have to kill him. 
Trump has not just flagrantly violated the typical boundaries of political discord. His candidacy is linked to multiple instances of violence. It shouldn't be a surprise that opposition to him has responded in kind. Yet, a lot of people seem shocked and appalled at this perfectly logical reaction. In the face of media, politicians, and GOP primary voters normalizing Trump as a presidential candidate, whatever your personal beliefs regarding violent resistance, there's an inherent value in forestalling Trump's normalization. Violent resistance accomplishes this. In spite of this, such resistance is apparently more offensive and unacceptable to societal norms and liberal sensibilities than the nastiness being resisted in the first place. Now, I want to pause there Anybody else wrote this during Obama time? Just, just pause and be honest to yourself. Anybody ever wrote that in Obama's time? What would the reaction be? Th- this would be front page news. Because if you could call Sandra Fluke a slut and be front page news like happened to Rush Limbaugh, who I despise, but that was national news instantly. This is calling for armed insurrection. On a major, major news site. Because once again, HuffPo's a major news site. He then goes in and tries to talk about how all these people are saying this is wrong and you should fight fascism. And he breaks it down. Let's go point by point. Point one. These denunciations of violence from anti-Trump protesters rest on the misguided view that the divided Trump's exposed is a typical political disagreement between partisans and should be handled as such. This couldn't be further from the truth. Trump might not be a fascist in the 20th century European sense of the term, though many of his supporters are, but he might represent its 21st century U.S. version. There's no doubt... He's expanded the Overton window to include rhetoric previously well outside its bounds. He called for a deportation force. He called Mexican immigrants are rapists and criminals. We've already shown that's a fucking lie. He said he wants to get rid of the Mexican racists and criminals. Not all, but the ones that are in the mix. His calls to keep database of Muslims and to enact a total ban on Muslims. His propensity for lying. Blah, blah. Point two. Politicians and liberal pundits seem to believe the principal goal for everyone resisting Trump is to halt his entry into the Oval Office. This, by default, means assisting Hillary Clinton entry. That's a fine goal for some people to embrace, and blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't let it happen. Point three, violent resistance matters. Riots can lead to major major change. It's not liberal politicians or masses that historians identify as a spark underlying the modern movement for LGBTQ cosine of four quality. Nor was it a think piece from Swarmy Liberal Writer. It was the people who took up the streets during Stonewall. It was the Watts Rebellion, not the Watts Battle of Ideas, that exposed the enduring systematic neglect, poverty, inequality, and racism faced by the community. Then he says the L.A. riots are the best thing ever. Lastly, I want to briefly note the problematic nature of people with privileged condemnation, violent resistance to Trump as an absolute moral failing or denying its logic. 
whether you would personally engage in violent conduct matters little to your ability to understand where it comes from. Some people have the privilege to consider the implication of Trump's rise in the abstract and negotiate, which means are necessary. That's not true for everyone. And when those who hold their privilege dismiss the potentially validity or logic of violent resistance, it's effectively an effort to dictate the rules under which oppressed people respond to existential threats and to silence forms of resistance disagreeable to privileged sensibilities. Don't be that liberal. Now, why am I reading an article from a couple months ago? Not, it's like six months ago. He tweeted it, 14 June. <laughs> As always, this one is my fault. And for the record, fuck Steve Scalise. 14 June, 1229 p.m. Anyone else write a piece like that? Anyone else that's not an Uber lib? How long would it make it for CNN would have breaking news and connected to Trump or the GOP or misogyny or racism? But it doesn't stop there. Hallie Jackson, Representative Barton, choked up talks about his son Jack being on the field today. He had 25 dads. Be me, Sandy Hook, Vegas John, where was the prick during Sandy Hook? Lions, science, witch hunt, these are all tweets, has been very proud of his A rating for the NRA, I hope he can learn and change. David Demoni, did he get the emotional about the children of Sandy Hook? What did he change after that? Kate, if there was a gun control, that wouldn't be necessary. And it goes on and on and on and on, fuck him, fuck his kids, fuck everybody. That is your modern liberal. It hasn't stopped. We did a podcast a couple days ago. It hasn't stopped. And as we'll go into our normal segments, it's still not stopping. They're blaming Trump. They're blaming guns. They're blaming Sarah Palin. I have yet to read an op-ed in any media or see anybody on TV state maybe Democrat politicians are saying some overboard shit that is making people go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. tweets of the day a friend of mine asked why don't i put that foreboding music in the background of the little twitter tune well folks let's be honest like dave chappelle said if twitter was a place you wouldn't go there it's just evil i actually use hand sanitizer on my eyes after i go to twitter just violent david from stupid tweet uh we already read no background checks no silence all of it wrong was answered by jenna jameson the porn star 
He was from Illinois, you consummate schmuck with a facepalm emoji. And I put that there because she's dead on. And when you get out thought by a porn star, what does that say about you? Seriously. The fake Spicer account struck again. His tweet, or her tweet, because we don't really know who it is. Wonder if we'll hear anything about Democrats' dangerous rhetoric contributing to Rep- Representative Scalise getting shot. Magic 8-Ball, highly doubtful. So, two people, there's hundreds I could have selected, took the bait. Janie the Small, which is a very good handle, because you're small-minded if you don't know this is a fake account, and it's even spelled wrong. Shame on Sean Spicer for politicizing this. Violence hurts democracy. This is a bad day for all Americans. The response to her? Like you give a crap. Hillary campaign paid people to be violent at rallies. Which made me jar and go, holy shit, I forgot all about that. Remember Project Veritas? We played it on the show. They were paying homeless people to get up in people's face. Because the whole plan in Hillary was to get somebody at a rally to get punched. Somebody who wasn't for Trump so they could say how dangerous Trump was for society. And they're still doing it with the Antifa, the Women's March. They're still doing it. Christina also tweeted it back. This is the White House official response. And the fake account replied back to her, kind of. Oh, you people are so bad. You're just like going like buckshot all over freaking Twitter trying to yell at people because you hate Trump so much. But Iowa Hawk has our tweet of the day. This Thanksgiving, maybe Vox should run a how to talk to your angry Bernie bro uncle story. Hey, tweet of the day! You know we got hate tweets because there's nothing but hate. This whole freaking 45 minutes so far has been just hate, hate, hate. Overman, read up on ADX Florence Supermax Prison in Colorado. You'll be celebrating your next birthday there. Enjoy. That was, of course, to Trump. But a lot of those on the Internet. I didn't cover Trump's birthday just because it's too expectable. First things first, to make it absolutely clear, the person responsible for pulling the trigger at Wednesday's morning's practice session of the Republican congressional baseball team is the shooter himself. That said, it's not surprising that Senator Bernie Sanders wasted no time in disavowing the support of the former volunteer, nor did the Southern Poverty Law Center. Here's their tweet. We're aware that SPLC was among hundreds of groups that the man identified as a shooter liked on Facebook. I want to be as clear as I can possibly be. The SPLC condemns all form of violence. We have worked for decades to combat domestic terrorism and violence based on hate. Our hearts are with those who are injured today and the families of all who have been affected by this deplorable act. We hope and pray for their full recovery. Mark Hemingway, <clears throat> we've covered him a lot on the show. Southern Poverty Law Center, which has made quite a lot of hay unfairly accusing right of instigating violence, has to eat crow today. Somebody said, but they won't eat it. Self-righteous progressives are never wrong in their own minds. A.M. Joy, Joy Race Bader Hillary Shill Reed, Richard Cohn of SPL Center, Hashtag Trump. 
needs to take responsibility for virus of hate he's unleashed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're still trying to blame them. And Alex Moe, Pelosi on political discourse. It didn't used to be this way. Somewhere in the 90s, Republicans decided on politics of personal destruction. Republicans did. Okay. Do you, does anybody out there believe either party isn't to be blamed for this? Both of them started this discourse. Seriously. That wasn't even 24 hours. 24 hours. We're going to be unified. Fuck those Republicans. That's a leadership. That's what shows what the leadership of both parties are like. I mean, right now, the leadership of the Republicans is on defense, but flip the script on Obama. Neither side is clean for rhetoric. But as I've shown in like the last 50 minutes, the left is in overdrive since this election. To our pockets without a bumper. Chris Alyssa decided to ask somebody out there to prove fake news stories. Eddie Carl 4468. Here's his list. It's lengthy, but it's worth a read. One, Comey wasn't granted more resources for an investigation. Comey will say he didn't tell Trump he wasn't under investigation. I can go all day. Chris Eliza talks some shit to him. Trump is going to live tweet during Comey hearing. Trump is under investigation by the FBI. Trump pulled the MLK bust out of the White House. Carter Page colluded with Russia. Trump dossier is true. Trump has two scoops of ice cream. Flynn is spilling the beans on Trump. Trump will fire Spicer. Hillary had 90% chance of winning. Comey is a boy scout of apolitical. Trump fired Comey over investment. Investigation. Excuse me. I think that's what he meant to say, but he put invest it. Trump has no path to 270. Donald Brazil didn't give debate questions to Hillary. Hillary didn't say she wanted open borders in a speech. He went off for a hundred reasons. All of them true. More hypocrisy? Off subject? Here's one. Nets completely ignore the coal mines open. It wasn't reported anywhere. Nobody reported it. Everything Obama promised. I'm going to make sure that Sweet and Lowe's and every fucking Sonic in the planet. Washington Post, New York Times. Yes, the president backs up another one. There's Sweet and Low and a Sonic. It didn't matter what it was. They were keeping his list for him. Glenn Thrush is those that follow the show. Now, I can't read his tweets because he's a freaking prick. And whenever you say something to him, he blocks you. So I'm blocked. And so our next two little hypocrisy moments are blocked moments that I got from a different site because Chuck Todd also blocked me. His tweet, any debate about civility in political politics... God, Tony can't read today. Let's try it again in English. Glenn Thrush, any debate about civility in politics begins with Trump. No one has degraded discourse more while embracing the fringe. Fact, not opinion. Sean Spicer... New York Times reporter Glenn Thrush has found the real culprit for the attempted massacre of GOP lawmakers, Donald Trump. John Barron, your paper literally just posted an editorial with factually incorrect info, but okay, let's go ahead and blame Trump. Remember, we covered it. I listened to all the Politico podcast. Glenn Thrush was so far in the camp for Hillary. 
He's a hypocrite. He's a Democrat. How the fuck anybody gives him press pass to go to the White House? As I said on the show, they should just say, fuck you. It doesn't matter. Oh, he's restricting the press. Fuck him. He's not press. He's a member of the DNC. Chuck Todd. Hope most folks realize we have a toxic political culture and that attempting to exploit today for political gain will only poison us us more. This story has some good little anecdotes in there. Sorry, the editor of this piece is still angry about what happened and his smug know-it-all response from the media is just in-freaking-furiating. Hope most folks realize that if the gunman had been some evil white conservative, old Chuck Todd would be among the first to screech about how horrible the GOP is and find a way to tie it to Trump. So Rod replied, since I can't, if it was them that were victims, you would be calling for Trump's head. You are proud to be part of the resistance. You have blood on your hands. Greg Esquire, he was a leftist. The left advocate violence in response to arbor politics. Media acquiesces, own it. And Jody McFeed, dude, get a mirror. I laugh my ass off at that. Get a mirror. For those new, I used to do Sunday Roundup in the beginning, and I would watch and wade through all the Hillary sycophant shows that I had to put up with this week. State of the Union and MTP until I finally did a pie. I can't do it no more. I was trying to hang myself with my bootlaces. I was taking my freaking computer freaking keyboard and jamming it in my throat. You guys are horrible. So then Jim Roberts from CNN, gun used in Congress attack was legally purchased SKS 7.62 assault-style rifle like this one. The problem was, it's an AK show, not an SKS, which is an assault weapon, and not the weapon that was used. Alpha Mike Foxtrot. Nope, you don't get to delete this clown shoes. <laughs> Do your job. The other pick is a, me doing your job for you. SKS and inver- variants. SKS is a semi-automatic, one shot per trigger pull. Standard version has fixed magazine, aka not a assault weapon. Use Google next time. Amber Affy, a chick no more than you. I'm not being a sexist, I'm just saying for record, a chick knew more about guns than you did. So, fail. Sally Cohn, progressive rights about hate on right and left. Right hatefully attacks her for daring to suggest the right is ever hateful. So there. Here's her screed. Something right-wing extremists do violent and hateful things. And sometimes, as it would appear, happen today at congressional baseball practice. Left-wing extremists do violent and hateful things. These are the moments to search our souls. I do happen to believe that conservatives are habitually more hateful and violent than progressives. That those on the right end of the spectrum have historically from been guilty of perpetuating hatred and violence... More than people on the left. Slave owners. And then I stop. You can't do a piece about civility and then just dog the other side. Somebody, Woko Haram, which is a pretty fun, funny freaking handle instead of Boko Haram. If I just pretend communists and Marxist terrorists weren't a big deal historically, the left is pure and flawless. <laughs> 
Fusion, who I promised I wasn't going to cover. But this was their this was their tweet. Bigoted homophobe Steve Scalise's life was saved by a queer black woman. That's what they reported. That's that's what they reported. Everybody else was actually printing status updates on those that were shooted. But not Fusion. Fusion, like Vox and HuffPo, are like, fuck that racist. <laughs> God, you fucking... And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- there's no discourse problem on the left. None whatsoever. So it's time for Media Mash. Mitchell... Andrea, type one each over on MSDNC, worrying about Dems getting blamed for the shooting. It'll become partisan. Malcolm Nance, who once tweeted, this is my nominee for the first ISIS suicide bombing of a Trump pro- property. Yeah. He was on MSDNC talking about guns. CBS gets two. CBS equating locker up to Dem shooting and Republicans and blaming Trump for it. They were just on a fucking, they were on a go mode over there. Spin, spin, spin. Protect the Democrats. Spin, spin, spin. CNN floating fake claim of David Duke Scalise linkage, which has been freaking debunked by the world. The fucking world. We also know from the statement from Senator Bernie Sanders that he apparently, according to his social media, to his Facebook account, was a, a volunteer in Sanders' uh, campaign. Sanders has acknowledged that and says he is uh, disgusted, appalled by this despic- despicable act of violence. Within his mental condition, there was, at least he felt, some sort of political motivation, as horrible as that is. Even addressed. You are seeing the suspect's political activities get swept up into this. And while you just heard the speaker and leader Nancy Pelosi talking about a call for bipartisanship here, already the political and apparently anti-Republican leanings of this suspect are getting drawn into the conversation here in a way. Yeah, we can see that he, in still photos, has in the past been a protester. Uh, this will inevitably be swept up uh, through social media. Do you have concerns? We just heard from Senator Sanders uh, that partisans on both sides are going to try to take advantage of the fact that this alleged shooter was in some way connected to protests against Republicans. I hope not. Malcolm, I was hearing, listening to your analysis during uh, the tail end of the 9 a.m. hour before we started the 10 a.m. hour East Coast. We now know a lot more about this now deceased gunman, uh, the weapon he perhaps used, and uh, what what are you most curious about now? Well, I'm most curious about whether the type of attack that he carried out was whether it was focused on Steve Scalise. Was it a, a particular uh, methodology that was leading up to an assassination attempt? Uh, it, or was it just generically a political attack against people he saw as opponents? It's, the picture is becoming a little clearer as information gets uh, confirmed uh, about the individual. But it doesn't matter because this was an attack on our representative democracy. They attacked our representatives, whether Republican or Democrat. So the most important thing that we need to understand from this is this is what happens when you have a you know an overproliferation of guns and it's it's to be expected to a certain 
you know, obviously people have every right to be passionate about political issues. Um, and in fact, that passion uh, translates to a lot of influence in this country, whether it's on the right or the left. People know that, uh, you know, that showing strong beliefs and getting large crowds together is the way that you influence your member of Congress. And so it can be very difficult for a member or their staff to know the difference between um, people who are simply um, exercising their First Amendment rights and want to make sure that their representative knows how strongly they feel about a given issue and someone who has a more menacing intent. Uh, clearly, we saw that during a campaign, which people talk about things like, you know, lock her up. And we saw some of the most crude political language uh, that we'd heard, even though there's a long history of, of political attacks in the American politics since the founding fathers. Uh, we did see uh, expressions that we had not heard before. They said that the Democrats at that playing field were actually praying when they heard about the shooting uh, on the Republican side. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt used to call the White House uh, the bully pulpit. Uh, do we begin with leadership from the White House in terms of trying to cool down things and trying to create more civility and trying to create a more common ground? He later won a tough battle in 2012 to serve as chairman of the most conservative bloc of Republicans, known as the Republican Study Committee. In 2014, after House Majority Leader Eric Cantor lost his primary, Scalise jumped into the race. But during that campaign, questions were raised about a speech he gave to a group led by former Ku Klux Klan leader David Duke back in 2002. Scalise told reporters, I detest any kind of hate group. For anyone to suggest that I was involved with a group like that is insulting and ludicrous. He went on to be elected House Majority Whip, making him the third most powerful Republican in the House. Congressman Steve Scalise is a staunch conservative, an advocate of fiscal discipline, lower taxes, and a robust national defense. He supported legislation that would establish English as the official language of the United States and that would defund Planned Parenthood. He's also worked to protect constitutional rights like freedom of speech. <laughs> Yeah, we're in our stats of the day, but I just want you to understand with that media mash, that's it, folks. That's all you're hearing right now. There's no, you know, maybe we, the left needs to do this. Maybe the left needs to do this. I, I said it wouldn't happen. Anybody with the common sense understands what our media is about, which is just promoting the Democratic National Committee. It, it, it's sad. We could have five more of these, and we're still going to get back to guns, and it's Trump's fault. So, Trump's approval rating is 50% on Rasmussen. I only bring it up, not that I think he's doing a great job, and you never heard me on the show say Trump's awesome, or I love Trump, or you never see me running around with a mega hat. I'm just saying, under Obama, whenever something like this happened, well, the, the president's got a 50% approval, so he can do whatever the fuck he wants. That was how it was played. Now, when his approval rating is good, you don't hear it. But then when it goes back down in the 40s or high 30s, it's, well, you know, with the president with a 39% approval rating, it can only get worse. 
Hypocrisy, my friends. About 4,000 more troops are going to go to Afghanistan. Mattis is starting to ramp it up up there. But unlike the Obama administration, he's actually calling it troops. There's boot on the ground. So we're not playing any semantics. Oh, there, there's no boots on the ground. Hey, somebody died yesterday. There's no boots on the ground. We played that jerk-off dance for how long in the Obama administration? And during that time, anybody listened to the show? I was screaming, send troops. Do something. I promise, listener to the show, I'm going to keep covering these illegal immigrant crimes, terrorists, whatever happens, because you're not going to see it in the media. Here's one. MS-13 is targeting New York for more bloodshed, authorities say. When they break it down, this is some interesting stuff you just don't hear. Um... MS-13 Honcho and El Salvador have implemented the New York program, which mandates an increase of violence and bloodshed in New York. Nassau DA Madeline Singas revealed Thursday. Singas made the chilly remarks at a press conference to announce the arrest of dozens of reputed MS-13 gang members as part of a 41-person indictment. The defendants are responsible for 32 violent acts in Nassau including eight attempted murders. Why haven't you heard that? Why haven't we heard that? There's no expose on Dateline. 48 hours. They're too busy going, Russia! The very day somebody gets shot, WAPO released another leak. Trump's getting checked for freaking obstruction of justice. Every constitutional scholar has come on TV. You can't get obstruction of justice. It's not there unless you stop them from investigating. Asking somebody to do something illegal is not illegal. What he did was inappropriate, but it's not impeachment, folks. Go back to your fucking midget porn or whatever gets you off because you're not getting off on that. Another one, Sweden. Extremism grows chiefly radical Islamists. The Swedish Security Service, SAPO, says the number of people in Sweden with extremist views has grown several thousands, mainly among people with sympathies for radical Islam. Its head, Anders Thornburg, said we have never seen anything like it. And propaganda from ISIS group was a key factor. He says the figure was in the hundreds a few years ago, and it was a historic challenge with extremist environments growing. Thornburg told Sweden's news agency, TT Friday, that Sapo gets about 6,000 pieces of intelligence every month, up from 2,000 five years ago. Now you know, resistance, why normal people who are not xenophobic are saying we shouldn't have just free reign to let every motherfucker come in this country. And I direct this directly at Patrick. Patrick, Patrick, you fought these people. How in the name of Zeus's ass crack could you say Trump's wrong because he just wants to put a delay on it? How many countries in Europe are fucked up? Seriously, folks. I'm all about about helping people, but good Lord, we got enough freaking problems. And as far as you keep telling me, the United States has just died on November 9th, so why would we want to bring people to a country that's dead? So, gigantically long intro, sorry, there's a lot of shit. We're going to take a music break. 
We're gonna we're gonna take a music break, and for the first time, I'm gonna play music from somebody I know. Amazingly, this week I got to re uh, reacquire contact with a dear dear friend, and this is his work. Um, it, this song is by Lisa Pettit and Steve. Will not say his last name because he's a friend. I don't like putting people's names out there so they get targeted by the Antifa. Uh, this song is called Dreams of Home. It's from an album called The Mineral Buff Session. And it is a blast to the past. I will give a full shout out to my friend Steve in Florida when we get to Military Corner. So enjoy this song. Original work from artists. Always is better than the crap that Katy Perry puts out. Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. But I'm a creep. I'm a creep. 
is a habit of our show. When we come up to a holiday, I like to cover it and at least recognize that day and give a little history behind it. So with Father's Day being this weekend, I went to oldhistory.com and here you go. The nation's first Father's Day was celebrated on June 19th, 1910 in the state of Washington. However, it was not until 1972, 58 years after Woodrow Wilson made Mother's Day official, that the day honoring fathers became a nationwide holiday in the United States. I did not know that. I did not know that. But there, there's not a lot, for, a lot of fathers. Let's be honest. One of my recurring themes on here is the middle-aged father on a TV show, usually of the persuasion of white, is a dumbass. Everything's a dumbass. The big time freaking dumbass. So, I mean, my favorite show, The Goldbergs. Dude walks in and drops drawers. Come on. Who does that? Mother's Day inspiration for Father's Day. The Mother's Day we celebrate today has its origin in the peace and reconciliation campaigns of post-Civil War. During the 1860s, at the urging of an activist, Anne Reeves Jarvis, one divided West Virginia town celebrated Mother's Work Day that brought together the mothers of Confederate and Union soldiers. Sorry, I had a page freeze. Mother Mother's Day did not become official to 1908 when inspired by Jarvis' daughter, Ann Jarvis, who wanted to honor her own mother. Thanks in large part to this association with retailers who saw great potential for profit and holiday, Mother's Day caught on right away in 1909. Forty-five states observed the day. Origins of Father's Day, the campaign to celebrate the nation's fathers, did not meet with the same enthusiasm, perhaps because, as one florist explained, fathers haven't the same sentimental appeal that mothers have, which equates to, what kind of shit can you buy dad? Dad's a dick, don't buy him shit. In July 5th, 1908, a West Virginia church sponsored the nation's first ever event, explicitly in honor of fathers, a Sunday sermon in memory of 362 men who had died in the previous December explosion at a Fairmont Coal Company mine and Monohan, but it was a one-time deal. The next year, Spokane, Washington, a woman named Sonorda Smart Dodd, one of six children raised by a widower, tried to establish an official equivalent to Mother's Day. She went to a local churches and YMCA, shopkeepers and government officials drum support for her ID, idea, and she was successful. Washington State celebrated the nation's first on June 19, 1910. Floyd the holiday spread in 1916. President Wilson honored the day by using telegraph signals to throw a flag in Spokane. We pressed a button in Washington. In 24, President Calvin Coolidge urged states to observe it. Today, the day honoring fathers is celebrated in the United States on the third Sunday in June. Father's Day 2017 occurs on June 18. So I'll take this time to thank Pops. Pops is my stepfather. Um, not to get too deep into my personal story, but my parents got divorced. We got kicked out of our house. He was dating my mom. He was in love with her. And he married her with three kids. 11, 9, 6 at the time. So right there, regardless of how life turned out, we didn't get along until I grew up. That's a pretty good man right there. So, happy Father's Day to you, Pops. 
I hope it's a good day. I hope that tree damage has gotten repaired somewhat, which I got to catch up this weekend to find out where we're at because I got hit by a big tree. But I, I appreciate all the sage wisdom you gave me because at the time I was a young kid that turned into a teenager and really had a lot of issues because I had a sperm donor of a father who kind of walked away from me. I didn't get you until I grew up. And then I got that you were preparing me for life. So I thanks you. I thanks you. I thanks you, which is not proper English. But there's a couple of articles I like to cover. This one's by Joshua Rogers. I still hear my dad saying these words. When I was seven years old, my dad took my brother and me on a hike around our small town in Mississippi. Mississippi. That hike would turn into one of the most terrifying moments of my life. We walked along the Leaf River for a couple of miles until my brother and I were too tired to enjoy ourselves anymore. But unfortunately, by the point, the only bridge we could cross without hiking another mile was a bridge used by the train. To my horror, my wild man survivalist dad decided we would all cross it in a single file line. We crossed the bridge one extremely slow step at a time because in between the railroad ties, we could see nothing but a view of the Leaf River about 50 feet below. My brother and I were rightfully terrified the train would come, but Dad calmly told us that if it happened, we would all jump from the bridge and into the river. We prayed desperately, desperate prayers for mercy as we crept over the bridge and heard a train off in the distance. And when we finally made it to the other side, we cheered for Jesus and ourselves. You did it, boys, Dad said. And somehow I knew I could do anything with a little courage and God's help. When I was eight, a kid on our block beat me up. And after I pulled myself together, Dad took me into the back room of our apartment to teach me how to fight. He explained how to defend myself. And then he impersonated a bully and started pushing me. I knew what he was trying to do, but somehow it pricked a tender part of me, and I just started sobbing. He took me in his big arms and said, It's okay, son. We don't have to do this. We can figure out how to fight another time. As Dad held me and let me cry, the shame of being beaten up lifted. It was okay for me to cry. It was okay for me to be weak. One day I would be stronger, and I knew that was true because he said so. Ten-year-old boys at my school were expected to be interested in hunting, fishing, and sports. I, on the other hand, liked producing radio theater with a tape recorder, cassette tape, and homemade sound effects. My dad didn't try to arm twist me into becoming a little, being a little boy that I wasn't. When I asked him to listen to my tapes, he sat next to the tape recorder and laughed wildly at the antics of my characters and the voices I used to portray them. Wow, you're really good at that, he said. I've not outgrown my father's affirmation. I recall those these stories at age 38 feel as brave as I did when we crossed those train tracks, as confident as I did about my creative abilities, and proud to be a man who, like my father, isn't afraid to cry. On Sunday morning, Father's Day, my three little kids will wake up and come downstairs to me. It's one of my favorite times of the day of, and my favorite time of the year. And I'll be especially conscious of the way I verbally affirm them, knowing that 30 years from now, when they're all grown up and loving their own children, there's a good chance they'll still be hearing my voice. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I had another one about a battle midway, but I think we could just leave it on that. I think it's important to look back on Father's Day and realize, <clears throat> for me, as a 50-year-old man, soon to be, we were raised by men with no capabilities. They weren't built to be nurturing. They weren't built to affirm you. They were not built to hug, kiss, or do anything. Their view of child rearing, I still think is pretty good, was to prepare you for a world that was pretty fucked up. There's tigers. There's bad shit. Being that some of us, and me included, were raised by combat vets, 
they knew there were, there was bad things in the world and, and their fear was that you were going to go out and, and get ate up. I, I think for me, that was a good, good example because while I raised my son, I had to tell myself to give that love, to give that hug. And I think I balanced it pretty well. If I could have Zach on the show, maybe he'd tell me I was wrong. But I remember many a time sitting on a baseball field and him not being into it. He didn't want to do it, but he didn't want to tell me. And forcing him to tell me and then making him understand. I didn't give a shit if he played baseball. I didn't care if he played football. I didn't care what the hell he did. When he wanted to play skateboard or play skateboard. When he wanted to be a skateboarder, I wanted to spend 150 bucks on a skateboard. I didn't know what I was doing. I got con job by some dick in a skateboard shop. But, you know, I got on the best trucks and everything. Four months later, he put it away. I remember carrying a guitar because he watched me play guitar at the time. And I got him a Fender Stratocaster in Korea. A real one with a serial number. I didn't get no bullshit one. I came home from mid-tour leave. I carried that through airports and brought it to him. He played. He had fun with it for years. And then one day he said, can you sell it? And I looked at him and said, it's your guitar. Sell it. I think I tried as much as a father to make my kid know the lesson it took me until I was about 28 to learn. You don't have to be your father. You don't have to follow your, follow your father's footsteps. You need to be you. Shadows are cast by the mentors in our life. But eventually we all cast our own shadow. Now that shadow is different. There's nothing wrong with it because that's who you are. And I hope at least that that is what I per, put into my kids who are both atheists, totally different politically than me. And even though I've been disowned and I've kind of disowned my own daughter, throughout the journey, we may have argued about politics, but <clears throat> there's been more than enough time sitting down with both kids going, this is your life. You ask me for advice. If you don't do it, you don't do it. But it's your life. And regardless of whatever you do, we're going to love you. I don't think that hit home with both my kids. But I think they understood they were loved. And I think they both at one time, well, I know at both, at one time, they uttered the words that we did a pretty good job. They may hate us now, and that goes through all relationships. But at the end of the day, I thank my father for showing me the tough and also showing me it's more to being a dad than just being a dick. And at the time, I didn't get it. And I didn't know why he was that way. But it was good for me to see that. It was good. Because it made me work harder at being a parent. It made me work harder to, that I needed to disengage the alpha male and be like a Zulu male every once in a while. Because they're kids. They need love. Lastly, I would say to all those that still have little ones in your house, the journey is so damn fast. Regardless of what you do as a parent, you always have regrets. You regret doing the yeah yeahs when they showed you a picture when you were so busy you got home from work and you were tired. You regret missing this. You regret missing that. A, don't live with regrets. Do the best you can. And B, understand as long as you're there and you give that 100% and be present, they don't remember the times you couldn't. Because it ain't easy being a dad.
You got to work. You got to be places. You got to be on the road. You got to be everywhere. It's our job. But once again, if you're present, if you're in the moment with them, they're going to remember that. And they're going to forget the times you couldn't be there. So happy Father's Day to all those fathers out there. Make sure you call your dad and give him some love. We're going to take another music break, and we're going to news, social, media, nuggets. It's a song called Trust. Let me see y'all dance a little bit. Move your hands or something. Come on.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Military Corner. I hate starting it like this, but I, I don't have a choice. Sadly, three Fort Campbell soldiers were killed in Afghanistan. Um, looks like a Department of Defense release identified the soldiers as Sergeant Eric M. Hoke, 25, of Baltimore. Sergeant William M. Bays, 29, of Barstow. And Corporal Dylan C. Baldridge, 22, of Youngstown, North Carolina. They were shot while supporting Operation Freedom Sentinel, although details on how or why are still under investigation. They were members of Headquarters and Headquarters Battery, 3rd Battalion, 320th Field Artillery Regiment, Company D, 1st Battalion, 187 Infantry Regiment, 3rd Brigade Combat Assault Team. They were in the Pekka Valley. And, um, man. Man, it's 15 years. 15 years. I was in Afghanistan 15 years ago. Coming back at the end of this month. And it's just still hard to believe we're still there. Um, So I want everybody to send prayers out to the families of these soldiers and their battle buddies because it ain't easy. And... I think in all this bull crap that is our media, how does this not make the news? We'll go nine days because some liberal icon died, but we won't even do a bullet comment for this. To close up on another story, the silo sailor reportedly overboard and presumed dead was found in the engine room. He was in there for a week. Somehow he got locked in. That's pretty horrible. And just close or do some more on the Marine Corps scandal. The Marines United investigation. The first court martials are possible next week. Um, As stated on the show, these fuckers should burn for that stupid shit. And lastly, Hawaiian soldier on surfboard died after a boat ran over him. The guy was the 25th, and he got hit by a boat. That is freaking horrible. 
That is horrible. So Military Corner was pretty much depressing and sad. But I'd like to close it on a shout-out for a good friend of mine, Steve, in Florida. To give the backstory on this, I've had a picture on my wall since 1990-something. And one of the sad things about life in general, when you're on Facebook, you can reconnect with people from high school and all that stuff. But in this case, Steve, a dear friend, like I said, the picture's been on my wall since then. Every office I've ever worked at, that picture's there. I told the world about this dude who inspired me to try to play guitar and was just a, my first platoon sergeant gig. And he was a platoon leader. And it was perfect. And every goddamn relationship I had with any other platoon I had never matched up to this guy. And it wasn't because it was the first. It was just because it was perfect. We were yin and yang. And we had a great platoon, and and wow, you know, it was, it was pre-war, times were happy. So all my good memories uh, were prior to 2001. And somehow, someway, LinkedIn, of all things, which I've disparaged on the show, I have one, don't like it, think it's stupid, even though I got a job out of it. And now I reconnected with a great friend. And his wife stumbled across my ugly mug and we finally reconnected because this is all pre-internet. You know, the pre-internet world sucked. You didn't have it. He wasn't on Facebook. And binga bonga boo, she sees my face. I got his phone number, email. The song that I played in the first bumper is his because he's still musically inclined. And we are going to do a review in about a week to one of his books, which I will do like all the other shows I listen to, uh, push you to an Amazon link and carry it on my website. I'll probably do it next week. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll do that for Monday's podcast. Um, get, get you to read a fantastic book that I'm already reading because he's an author. Um, but we, we've caught up. We, we got, we talked for an hour today on the phone. Looking forward to seeing him in August. And I need to put that in military corner because I didn't have a lot of military friends. Talked about it all the time. You know, the, the reality is at a certain point in your career, you stop. Because it does hurt. It's not a normal life. People leave all the time. Or in, you know, 2001 to <clears throat> current, people you know die. So it's just, it's, it's uh, you know, acquaintances. It's it's liked. Uh, but this is one of my dear friends that, you know, I just didn't get to keep in touch with. And so I am so thankful that I believe uh, God somehow made our paths tra- cross again. And his wife remembered my ugly face and my name, and boom. So, uh, Steve, it's fantastic to, to be able to talk to you again, and, and it does my heart good. And I really look forward to uh, many more years of keeping in touch. So that'll end our military corner on a positive note. To the crazy stuff. Transphobic NBC Katie Turr gets rattled by transgender father's Facebook tirade. Brian Flood of The Rap reported on Twitter that NBC and MSDNC star Katie Turr is having troubles with her transgender father again. Hannah Zoe Turr ripped daughter NBC Katie Turr as transphobic in Facebook message. My daughter does not support the LGBT community. This is quite a surprise given the negotiation piece between father and daughter as projected in Sunday's New York Times puff piece by Luzita Lopez Torrezango. Ironically, although, the Times headline was, you can't rattle her. 
asking Tura about her father's obvious rattling her last July in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. Zoe Tura claimed that Katie Tura had been estranged since her gender transition. It's not that she's transphobic, Zur said then. It's that her hero father has become this, and it's fear of not fitting in. It's a pressure of being on a network. When I brought up her father's remarks, Miss Tur went silent. After a pause, she disputed the accuracy of her father's version and said that their rift had nothing to do with her father's transition and that they are speaking now. We were not on speaking terms for a little while, she said, but that's not because of his transition. Later, from Asia, Zoe Tur emailed me about my transition. I demanded early on that my children accept what even I don't fully understand myself. No child should have to deal with the father in transition from male to female. Perhaps it will be the subject of Katie's second book. One day last December, she said Katie called to tell me she was sorry and that she loved and accepted me, agreed to set things right, and been working on that. This sounded like a carefully negotiated truce to the Times puff piece, could proceed, but then Zoe Tur somehow found the Times article to be hurtful. On June 8th, <clears throat> he turned 57, and no call, not even an email. On Pride Sunday, the New York Times published a story about Katie that left me humiliated. The timing and optics couldn't be worse. Truth is, my daughter does not support the LGBT community. She's transphobic and fearful and will hurt her career as a broadcaster at these alt-right times. Career before family. In the words of Patty Shafisky, she's pure television. Is it possible to be transphobic to insist that this transgender father is too self-absorbed for words? How positive do the press clips have to be to avoid humiliation? Or were the hurt feelings and transphobia caused in negotiation the I don't fully understand myself portion of the Times piece? We will never know. Gotta cover that, because at the end of the day, in this now... We've skipped every group and the identity politics is transgender and we covered the last podcast, the year of the transgender candidate and all this horse shit. This is Katie Tour. Became a star because of Trump. Uber liberal lets Keith Oberman, bathtub boy, put his penis inside her. And this isn't the first article I've said. She's got problems. She's got problems with transgenderism when it hits home. This is the hypocrisy of our media. That's why I cover it. Oh, Entertainment Weekly is going to have an LGBTQ issue. On the cover, it's going to be First Lady of Drag, RuPaul. They're covering Fenton Bailey, co-founder of World of something. Randy Barbato, co-founder of World of Wonder. Lady Bunny, drag legend. RuPaul, Michelle or Michael, who the hell knows, Visage. Yeah, this is this this is the year, folks. And why do I say it's crazy? Why do I say it's crazy? Because I've already proven on the show numerous times. 80% of these people go back. Yet I am supposed to be tolerant and accept their views. And in some corners of the internet, if I don't chop my dick off and turn it to a vajayjay... I am a sexist, homophobe, transphobic, xenophobe. Where are the rest of them? I can't keep up with all of them. I'm a lot of things. But this transgender shit, I called it. I said we were going to do this. This was next. This was next. Why can't we just let it be? Why does it always have to be a fucking cause? Why don't any of you have a cause for soldiers? How about VA? 
Never hear that. So sick of the freaking crazy shit from the media. 0.7% of the country is deciding whether to have a dick or vagina. It looks like half the country. 5.7% is gay. It looks like all the country. Okay, I'm done. Is this the NFL's first female player? Becca Longo is 18. She can kick a football farther than you can. And basically, this young girl is the first girl to get a scholarship. She's getting a scholarship to Division One or Division Two schools when she signed with the D2 Adams State in Alarosa, Colorado. And they cover it. She's uh, 5'11", 145, has kicked 50-yard field goal in practice and splits the upright in 45 in high school games. Yeah. First female ever to get come on in college with a scholarship. So, there it is. Even crazier? Meet the 11-year-old offered a football scholarship from the University of Hawaii. Now, Hawaii sucks pretty bad, but 11? Yeah, he just might be the youngest recruit in history for the University of Hawaii. Titan Lakadin, I hope I'm saying his name right, is 11. He's a wide receiver with the All Blacks Crusader of Capoli. He's definitely a special kid, said Frank Lakadin, Titan's father and co-founder of the All Blacks Crusader Football Club. Titan just finished fifth grade, and his family said he already has his first offer to play college ball with the Rainbow Warriors. It was heavy. Felt like a whole block of cinder box came on my shoulders at Titan. University of Hawaii and Manoa is one of the top three schools and his mother's top choice. And I have to say, that is the most retarded shit I've ever heard. He's 11. Hasn't even, hasn't even sprouted a pube. And you're giving him a scholarship? That is wrong, man. College football is getting out of control. I'm just telling you. It's out of control. It's out of control. I don't think the shit we want to know. But I know it's big money, but damn. New Utah facility be able to power a bountiful-sized city by digesting food waste and turning it into national ga- natural gas. North Salt Lake. State and local officials broke ground for Utah's first food digester Thursday morning in a project aimed at reducing landfill waste. The North Salt Lake facility to be opened in late 2018 will deploy anaerobic digesters to grind and liquefied food waste, then use water, heat, and bacteria to convert it into methane to be used as natural gas and biosolids to be converted into fertilizer. That's pretty interesting. I'll never see it in the South. I wish I did, because I'm like seven miles from a landfill, and the wind comes from the North now. When we first moved here, you didn't smell anything, and now you smell it, because it's huge. It used to be like a hill. Now it's a freaking mountain. So maybe maybe that would be a good thing. And our weird, weird stuff. I, I know I've been covering some weird shit, but this one just kind of, wow. We probably paid for this. Tax money paid for this. Meditation alters stress genes, study says. A study has shown that meditation alters the activities of genes linked to stress and depression. Researchers examined evidence for mind-body interventions, or MBIs, such as meditation, yoga, and tai chi, and affecting your DNA. Data from 18 studies involving 846 participants revealed a pattern of molecular change in the body that benefit mental and physical 
health. The key was nothing to do with unblocking chakras, but a gene-regulating stress molecule called nuclear factor kappa B, or for the ubergee, NF-KB. And the K must be small case. Under its influence, certain genes switch on a fight-or-flight response to stress, which over time can increase the risk of cancer, accelerating aging, and mental disorders such as depression. People who practice meditation and other MBIs lower their production of kappa B, and stress effect is triggers the scientists found. So, maybe that's something I should start doing. Start going, oh, maybe I'll just do a podcast that I meditate the whole time. That would be fucking annoying. Wow. Could Illinois be the first state to file bankruptcy and they break it down? There you go. Liberal state, overspending, acting like crackheads. It's going to kick. It's going to catch you. It's just going to catch you. Wow. Wow. Legislative gridlock has sidetracked their efforts not only to address the pensions, but also to achieve fiscal balance, allowing a backlog of bills to approach $15 billion. And that's all pension-related, folks, and freebies. There you go. You reap what you sow. Jeremy Corbyn, he, this is a U.K. politician. Empty homes owned by the rich should be requisitioned for Grenfell Tower residents. Jerry Corbyn has called for the empty homes with, of rich people in Kenningston to be seized by Grenfell Tower residents who have been made homeless by a fire. The labor leader said that the London borough was a tale of two cities between a wealthy south and a rich north. He suggests that requisitioning expensive vacant properties could help ensure that residents are housed locally. The government is committed to rehousing all of those who lost their homes in the fire in local area. However, Corman said, Kenningston is a tale of two cities. The south part of Kenningston is incredibly wealthy. It's the wealthiest part of the whole country. And three, two, one, some Democrats going to say that. You know, we, we did the, you didn't build that. That's not yours. Obama phase. Now it's going to be, you're rich. Give that person your house. I'm keeping my shit. But give that person your house. I rarely cover Alex Jones on the show, but there's been this big, huge tiff that I'm ignoring and I haven't really covered. So I put it in this section because I, you know, whatever. But Megyn Kelly and him have just been fighting like two cats in a bag. And suppose it was leaked audio me meant to set the record. Alex Jones has released recordings made during a pre-interview between himself and Megyn Kelly to set the record straight after the release of a highly edited promo for the NBC host upcoming hit piece. I've downloaded the whole 30 minutes of bullshit. I'm just going to play the intro right now as a teaser, but I'm going to listen through it, see if it's worth talking about, because I hate fucking both of them, but, you know, it's always nice to see two people you hate fight. All I can do is give you my word and tell you, if there's one thing about me, I do what I say I'm going to do, and I I don't double-cross, so... You know, you just became very fascinating to me. I just sort of thought you were this maybe... You know, one-dimensional guy, like this is your thing. My goal is for your listeners and the left, you know, who will be watching some on NBC to say, wow, that was really interesting. And then the next time I want to get somebody, they're going to say, look what you did to Alex Jones. It's not going to be some gotcha hit piece. I promise you that. We talked controversies and conspiracies. 9-11. Now, 9-11 was an inside job, but when I say inside job, it means criminal elements in our government working with Saudi Arabia and others wanted to frame Iraq for it. Just a fact. You are about to view and listen 
to information that's never before been seen or heard. Sweet Jesus, that guy's crazier than a freaking... Oh, God. I don't even have an analogy on how crazy he is, but I'll pick through it, see if there's anything good in there, because anytime I can see, like I said, two cats fighting in a bag, it's always fun, and I hate Megyn Kelly. It has nothing to do with Trump. I've always hated Megyn Kelly. I just, just can't stand her, and I don't know how she got all this money and is so popular. God. To our lighter corner, I put this in here. Matto, I'm a cheerleader for the media. We will save America from the Trump crassets. Rolling Stone, questions asked. A whole article. She's the front page right now. Why do you think some Americans hate and distrust the media so much? It's a convenient foil. I don't really care. I'm a cheerleader for the American media. And I feel like the pr- free press is going to be what saves us from political crisis that we are in. We just need to keep doing what we're doing. Once again, anybody who listens to the show, we don't have a free press. We either have right-wing press or left-wing press. We lost objectivity about mm, 1999, and that's when it went to shit. That just went to shit. What do you think we could do better being the media? Because the Rolling Stone has been embarrassed a million times. is now part of the media. I think the media needs to be protective in terms of its business model. There needs to be a remunerative vocation, which is called reporter, which is called editor, which is called publisher. We need to do what we can to make sure that we defend people that are attacked for doing their work. Yeah, okay, you know what? You can't keep lying. All right? Can't keep lying. She then goes in about both parties are fucked up. You're a liar. You're for the DNC. Shut up. I've watched your show, Matto. I was surprised to hear you don't see yourself as a partisan when a lot of people would disagree. How do you defend that? Oh, I'm a liberal for sure. I'm just not a candidate person. And I'm not a huge fan of the Democratic Party. I'm also less interested in Democratic Party as a topic. The Republic Party is more fascinating. What about the Republic Party fascinates you? I'm like a sociologist of the Republican Party. Even absent Trump, there's a robust, well-funded, decade-old, super-organized, focused, competent, conservative movement that exists outside the Republican Party that yanks the party's chain whenever they want to. The Republican Party is like an old, burned-out husk of Ford Pinto. Oh, shut up! Shut the... Shut! Just shut your face! Oh, God. When she tries to talk like she's smart... Watch her show. She's Sean Hannity with, I think she's got boobs. I don't know where she's angling because she looks more and more like a dude. Which once again, let's, you know, I need to re-earth that thing I did about, uh, vegans and gay people. Because every time I say Rachel Maddow, I really go, okay, if you want to be gay, why do you look like a dude? And why does your wife look like a woman? And if you're vegan, why do you eat shit that tastes like meat, but it's not meat, because meat is murder? I submit. I'm a vegan. I'm a carrot-eating motherfucker. I don't eat anything that's like meat. And if I'm gay, I want a lumberjack. I want a hairy-butted lumberjack motherfricker to hump, because I like dudes. But both these groups just confuse me, because you don't make any sense. One of you always looks like the opposite sex, and I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but that's just me. And Matto, I don't know what she is. I think, I, I say it on the show not to be mean. Chris Hayes is looking more feminine. Matto's looking more male, and I just get confused. And her politics, come on.
She's Sean Hannity for the left. Shut up. So Yusha Smith, once again, put on another one of our recruiters. This is from Yusha Smith's YouTube channel. Love this guy. Enjoy. Sure is a great day to be a recruiter. Hey, fellas. You ever thought about joining the United States Army? Nope. No. Come on, man. We offer over 150 job opportunities. I know you guys can use a job, right? No, I trap. You try? Uh, okay. In case you change your mind, hit my pamphlet with my number on the back, man. Just give me a call, man. You know? Appreciate it, guys. All right. Come on, man. Three weeks later. Hey, homie. Yeah, I see him right there, cut. Hey, fool! Catch! Oh, shit, the recruiter! The next day. I got your ass now. I state your name. I Gerard Fields. Do solemnly swear. Come on, get it up! <laughs> God, I think the guy's funny as shit. Just funny as shit. And I swear. We were drills together. He was at Jackson, but, you know, I'll never know because, you know, I don't really know the guy. It's not like I'm going to send him a message. Hey, we're drills arms together. Because then I, you know, we're kind of like a, that guy. Nobody wants to be that guy. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send a comment about the track by sending an email to foppodcast at gmail.com. Fop podcast gmail.com you can get this show on soundcloud podcast addict tune in radio google play itunes blueberry and stitcher remember to check out the flyover politic webpage f-o-p-p-o-d-c-a-s-t dot com foppodcast.com it's a theme to see links to feeds for the show links to our facebook page and email us there will also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page which i'm going to do a blog this weekend. Finally, at foppodcast.com is your best place to go send segments to the show, something you want to hear, because you can click the link and send an email. Next podcast will be Monday, 19th of June, year our Lord, 2017. I once again want to close like I started. Thank you all for listening. This is show 200. I look forward to show 8,000 if I'm old enough to do it. And then I'd be bitching about Medicare and Social Security. I also want to thank all the foreign listeners to this. I hope it gives you an insight to the normal Americans in the flyover states. I know you don't see it. And if you do, you think it's hee-haw or Mayberry RFD. And that's clearly not what we are. I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy your families. Remember, life's short. Take a break. Hit pause. Disconnect. Don't look at your phone. Be with your family and be present. And reach out and say, Happy Father's Day to your father. Give him some love. It's hard being dad. It's not easy at all. So, be happy, folks. And as always, thanks for listening. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.